Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. My guest today on Song of the Soul is Daniel Winings. Daniel was raised without any real religious faith, but discovered it himself in college in his pursuit of truth and consistency. He was eventually baptized into a megachurch, but the deepening and refining of his faith did not end there. A sojourn in Indonesia and other experiences broke open his concepts of materialism and American exceptionalism leading him into simplicity and community with the Mennonite Church. His family and another family in the Chippewa Valley are looking to bring together folks to work towards starting a local Mennonite church. Daniel, welcome to Song of the Soul. Thank you. Daniel, how long have you lived in the Chippewa Valley? This time we've lived about two and a half years. My wife and I lived in Minneapolis-St. Paul for a couple of years, and before that we lived for about four years in Eau Claire, and before that we came up from uh, central Illinois. Did you grow up on a farm family? My parents owned an acre. We had a large garden and uh, chickens and goats. My mother was a back-to-the-lander, just very engaged in getting some, if not a large part of our food from that acre. For generations, there were farmers before that, but uh, by the time I was growing up, that was a bit of history. You said your mother was a back-to-the-lander. Does that mean she's part of that liberal outgrowth of the 60s where people kind of settled down and went back to the land? And I think there was a political activism period, and then I think there's a period where people subsided into, well, I guess all I can control is my own life. 
I think she was mostly concerned with her own life and our own sphere. We talked about politics a lot in my house. I grew up, my church was the Sunday morning talk shows. How it worked itself out was mostly in what we were doing ourselves. I always say I'm a little bit of a victim of history in the sense that my grandparents came of age during the Depression and the Second World War, and my parents came of age during the oil embargo and stagflation and the rest. A lot of my personality comes out, I think, uh, through that history. Well, what kind of living have you settled into? What's your plot like? My wife and I own 10 acres. It's just south of Colfax, very hilly terrain. We have some gardening and some terraced, between retaining walls, some terraced areas. I raise some rabbits and some chickens that will start laying eggs soon. At the same time, I commute to the Twin Cities from there to work also. We live in some tension, looking for simplicity. Tell me a little bit about your religious background and present. I grew up in a household that was militantly agnostic. Religion didn't come up as a subject much. My mom did send me to Sunday school in a small church so I could learn the stories, she said. And whenever I said, Mom, it's boring, she said, Okay, well, you don't have to go anymore. Took that with me to college. And while I was there, I uh, did identify in my dorm who the Christians were rather early. And as I was finding myself at that age of 18, 19, I thought, well, I really think all those Christians are hypocrites, but I'm just taking that on the information of others. I should really get to know some and find out that they're hypocrites for myself. And as I got to know people, I found out that uh, while they weren't perfect, they were sincere and honest with their own shortcomings. And that led to uh, real searching, uh, revolving around the question, uh, is this stuff in the Gospels true? After a long, torturous existential battle, I uh, decided that it was. Committed myself to following this this Jesus. Was baptized in a, a mega church in Bloomington, Illinois. In the time that passed after that, as I developed and as I reflected on the world around me, continually running into some disjuncts. And I'm a person that I like things to be consistent. I like my beliefs to be consistent with each other and my actions to be consistent with my beliefs. That has led to just a a number of struggles, a number of times when I've had to leave some beliefs behind. And as that continued, that led me to pursue divinity studies at Bethel Theological Seminary in St. Paul. While I was there, I read a book by uh, John Stott on the Sermon on the Mount. And I said, well, if we're supposed to read the Bible like my evangelical mind tells me I should read the Bible... These Mennonites, which John Stott gave you know, a few pages to how Mennonites and other Anabaptists read the Bible, how they read the Sermon on the Mount is how I should read it. In time, that led my wife and I to become members of a Mennonite church in St. Paul, a home that we're very comfortable in right now. Well, let's get into your music, and I'm sure more of this story is going to come out. I think you chose your first song by John Mellencamp. It's called Rain on the Scarecrow. This isn't a reference to the Wizard of Oz, is it? Well, we're not in Kansas anymore, I guess. Growing up in a farm area of real agrarian tendencies myself, it's hard for me to imagine anything as difficult to go through as losing a way of life. As the song lyrics go, it's his grandfather's and his father's land during that farm crisis of the 80s when farms had to get bigger or get out. 
just the torture of in John Mellencamp's narrator in that song just really rings true. Whether it be my grandfather who went broke dairy farming down by Osseo in the 1950s, as soon as he retired, he got a few acres, he got some rabbits, he got some chickens, he got some goats, he got some sheep. Works now, I'm sure, more hours than he did whenever he was working, but he loves it. He's doing what he loves. So that just really rings to us from where I came from, where in some ways I guess I still am, loving the land and being part of that agricultural act. Well, let's tune in and listen to Rain on the Scarecrow, John Mellencamp.
Daniel, where did your taste in music come from? Well, my taste in music really began, and I can remember a specific time of I was upstairs alone, and I opened up this drawer, and I found a whole bunch of LPs, which I took off to my room and started listening to. The Eagles were in there, Tom T. Hall, um, Johnny Cash, live at Folsom Prison. And I can remember just playing those records over and over and over again. And wherever my musical tastes went later, I always found myself drawn back a bit to country and old-timey type music. I guess this next song kind of echoes that kind of taste. It's called Jesus Walking on the Water. It's by Gordon Gano. He was part of the Violent Femmes at one point. I heard him a couple years ago playing at a church in St. Paul, and they like doing old-timey bluegrass music and old-time gospel music. And he was there and played a number of songs, including this one. And he talked a little bit about his faith and how some of the first songs he wrote were gospel tunes, which he just never recorded. Why did you pick Jesus Walking on the Water as part of your song of the soul? Part of the refrain goes, tell me, is it true? As I was at college, and even today, I'm a very truth-oriented thinker. I'm not a person who experiences a lot of warm fuzzies or uh, was laden down with guilt of my sin. The question that drove me in that part of my spiritual life was, is it true? I want to know if it's true. I'll mop up the consequences afterwards. What was the question that you were facing that you could test and that you could verify for truth right now? My recollection is that the key question is, is this testimony reliable? Is this testimony found in the Gospels and in the, all the epistles? Is it a reliable testimony of the nature of God? Whenever I say, are the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament reliable, I tested it against what in my mind were the other alternatives. Either a bunch of mostly Jews were saying some extremely radical things for Jews at the time. Something had to have happened to them. Some experience had to affect them for them to say all these very un-Jewish things regarding God coming down and taking flesh and dying for our sins on a cross. They either had to be involved in a mass delusion, a mass attempt to, to schnooker people around them, or they sincerely believed it and were reliable witnesses. The Christian movement grew and took off. People, first of all, knew that they were saying something radically different. That's why Paul was involved in the stoning of Stephen and the persecution of the church. But the apostles went to their grave with it. Romans gave everyone a chance to recant. And someone's just trying to, to schnooker people. They're not willing to die for it. They're not the type of people willing to die for a lie. The long story short is I'm unable to find a way to really just write off the Bible and write off Christians. I found myself in a bit of a quandary. My philosophical questions were answered. I saw living testimony of people whose lives had been changed, and I was kind of just stuck. So as a bit of intellectual honesty at the end, I just had to lay down my metaphorical sword and surrender to what I'd come to believe long before I actually finally laid down my sword and accepted it. Let's listen to a song that reflects the kind of truth, struggling, wrestling with God that Daniel did to come to clarity on his beliefs. It's called Jesus Walking on the Water. It's by Gordon Gano. Oh my, oh my. 
share the same taste in music there's kind of a bluegrassy old time feeling to that music is that her favorite flavor of music too in a word no we've been married 10 and a half years and she prefers broadway show tunes pop music and also uh beethoven and mozart where uh i'm pretty much a, a rock and roll or bluegrass kind of country from uh the 80s and 70s uh type guy what does Christy end up thinking of Johnny Cash? I mean, that's, for both of you, it's really 20, 30 years in the past. You're kind of reaching back to it. She has grown to see the depth and variety in Johnny Cash. She has been exposed to the broader depth of the man. Songs like Man in Black. During the 60s, when other people were doing a lot of talk about the oppressed, it's Johnny Cash who actually went into the prisons. That and his own rehabilitation from drug abuse, the Christian love of his in-laws and his uh, wife who, who got him through that. There's just a whole big story there that goes a lot deeper than a few hits in the 50s and 60s. Obviously, the reason I'm talking about this is because your next song is by Johnny Cash. It's called Like a Soldier. Why did you choose this one as part of your song of the soul? Well, I went through a time not of drug or alcohol abuse, but a real over-enthusiastic zeal. Like I said, I can be hard on myself, and a time whenever I was too hard on people around me, and I hurt some friendships, I can think of one or two that I destroyed in that zeal. And so, as Johnny Cash talks about, like a soldier getting over the war, like a young man getting over his crazy days, like a bandit getting over his lawless ways... Whenever I look at and talk about and think about sanctification, that growing in holiness, it really is, in a lot of ways, like a soldier getting over a war. You don't go from, to take the current war, the streets of Baghdad to the streets of Eau Claire. That transition cannot be done in a day. In Baghdad, if you go over an underpass, many times you jump lanes while you're under the bridge because people are throwing stuff on you. Well, you go to Minneapolis-St. Paul, so to speak, there's lots of bridges there, and uh, people keep that instinct. Whenever I hear that, I think of, in many ways, my own past. It's all that growing, that slow progression. Jesus' claims, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, but throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament, if they are true, the world is a very different place than the way I've lived in the past. The type of way I even thought of the world in the past, I should say. While I'm used to reacting to the world one way, the way 
that I used to know the world. I'm not a soldier in the war anymore. I'm learning to transition and live in that new kingdom, in that new world. Daniel, you're Mennonite, and one thing I know about Mennonites, just like my own Quaker faith, is that they take the Sermon on the Mount seriously, and that particularly we're known as the historic peace churches. So it strikes me as strange that so many churches have military metaphors for how they relate to God. We're part of the army of God and onward Christian soldiers. What thoughts do you, as a Mennonite, have about war and about military force? First of all, a little bit of disclaimer in the fact that there is some variety in Mennonite thought on the issue. Personally, I realize that looking out in the world, it is a dangerous and violent place. My favorite way to talk about the world and uh, the use of military force is comparing and contrasting Romans 12 to Romans 13. Now, people who believe that Christians should partake in the armed forces love to point to Romans 13, which talks about God essentially calls governments the tool for the wrath of God and talks about God ordaining them for this role to keep peace and order and safety wildly free paraphrase and it's it's there i agree i commend them in that but what i point out is romans 12 same paul writing same thinker same document where he calls the church a community of grace that doesn't respond with violence in fact he really paraphrases in there the sermon on the mount about blessing those who curse you loving those who hate you I look at it and I really do see a contrast. Can you be an agent of God's grace and put a bullet in someone's chest? I don't think so. So I don't equate the two roles as being co-equal and co-good, and Christians can be either. I read Romans 12 and continue on into Romans 13, and I read a call of the church to be agents of grace, even to those who really honestly want you dead. Now, God has ordained the state to not be an agent of grace. It is an agent of wrath. And that makes, in some ways, life possible. I would say it is, in my Christian growth and reflection, it seems like a very unworthy task for the Christian. You've heard Daniel and my opinions about this. Perhaps maybe we should listen now to Johnny Cash's opinion about it, a little bit of his journey. The song is Like a Soldier. It's by Johnny Cash. With the twilight colors falling And the evening laying shadows Hidden memories come stealing from my mind and I feel my own heart beating out The simple joy of living And I wonder how I ever was that kind But the wild road I was rambling Was always out there calling And you said a hundred times I should have died Then you reached down and touched me And lifted me up with you so I believe it was a road I was meant to ride 
I'm like a soldier getting over the war I'm like a young man getting over his crazy days Like a bandit getting over his lawless ways I don't have to do that anymore I'm like a soldier getting over the war There are nights I don't remember And pain it's been forgotten And a lot of things I choose not to recall There are faces that come to me In my darkest secret memories Faces that I wish would not come back at all But in my dreams parade of lovers From the other times and places There's not one that matters now no matter who I'm just thankful for the journey And that I survived the battles And that my spoils of victory is you I'm like a soldier getting over the war I'm like a young man getting over his crazy days Like a bandit getting over his lawless ways Every day gets better than the day before I'm like a soldier getting over the war As an afterthought, I was wondering, Daniel, if you were conscripted for military service, you know, the draft came back up, which is not at all unlikely given the present situation, what approach would you take to responding to the draft? The last time there was a draft, there was exemption for conscientious objectors. So assuming that was there, I would act myself and counsel others of similar belief to apply for that status. If, like the First World War, there was not an exemption for uh, conscientious objectors, I myself and I would counsel others to refuse to put on the uniform. There are some people in my congregation who remember uncles, who the Army attempted to conscript them during the First World War. And they recall, or recalled, I think they've mostly passed from the scene now, of being marched before fake firing squads, although they didn't know they were fake, being told that they were going to be executed, and hearing the ready, aim, fire, and then a whole bunch of clicks as uh, empty rifles were fired. There were some Hutterites and Amishmen, who are other faiths, spiritual cousins, who uh, were sent to Leavenworth, thrown in a basement, their underwear on until they could come out when they'd put on the uniform, and got pneumonia and died and were sent back to their families. So there is that history of resistance and well, I'm very slow to say that I would measure up to that. I would not put on the uniform. You identify yourself as a member of a Mennonite congregation, but there is no Mennonite congregation, at least yet, in the Chippewa Valley. How do you meet your religious need for community? The short answer is, while there are a couple of Mennonite communities in Augusta, which isn't that far away, there's a Mennonite spectrum. And the Mennonite spectrum that I'm involved with doesn't have a congregation in the area. They have some up north aways. The other closest is the one that we came from in St. Paul.
Currently, we're traveling to Minneapolis-St. Paul. There's another couple that drives from Eau Claire to St. Paul for church. In the short run, it would be nice to find a few families that we could get together with a couple times a month for a set period of time to sing together, pray together, and grow together. In the long run, I would like to see a Mennonite church in Eau Claire. Well, let's go on to your next song. Why did you pick Jordan is a Hard Road? Well, it's a very old American folk song. I think it was first recorded in the 1920s. It comes forward in my mind that even in the 1920s that someone was singing about how the industrial world was uh, shaking everyone down for money. As the song lyrics go, you know, he talks about an evangelist that comes around and people come from miles around just to hear him shoot the bull. He confronts that even then that perhaps the evangelist was not completely trusted. But then he goes on to say, you know, old Henry Ford has shaken people down for more money than the evangelist is. Where I find myself today is, and you don't hear the argument so much anymore. You used to hear it all the time that the church was just out for your money. Some churches today don't pass the plate for that reason, to be sensitive to that. Especially in a day of credit cards, zero down, mortgages, adjustable rate everything. That really bothers me. <laughs> um, the idea that the sad fact is that materialism, the desire to have things now, the desire to have very good things now, leads to a structure of debt that really, if you look at the truth and lending number at the end of any time you sign a note, you can't sit and dwell on it too much. You have to hurry up and sign it because that number is so large. Now, my wife and I are moving towards trying to eliminate some debt. We are, are far from it. One thing of my faith progressed was seeing that as exploitation. This song I love so much because he sees that and calls out Henry Ford particularly. While not defending bad practices in ministry, I'll save my hostility and ire for those people who are out there with structured debt, with advertising that sells, 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 things that we don't need. At one point, my wife and I were in a situation where it looked like perpetual serfdom to debt. And it only took a saying no, uh, throwing the TV out of the house so we didn't see those pretty flashing images anymore to start getting out of debt and get some freedom there. So that's a personal passion of mine. Well, let's listen to Jordan is a Hard Road. It's by John Hyatt singing with the Chieftains.
hard road to travel. Pull off your overcoat, roll up your sleeves, join them a hard road to travel, I believe. Westerner basically all of your life. I think this next song, Land of My Sojourn, is reference to some time you had outside the Midwest. This song became powerful to me after spending some time outside of the country. I spent five weeks in Indonesia as part of an immersion program to give college students an idea of what it would be like to live and work as an expatriate in a foreign country. So my introduction beforehand was I got off the plane, I read the Lonely Planet guidebook on the plane. A host, who was the in-country person leading the program, gave me a 30-second lesson on how to use a Turkish toilet. I was taken to a lower middle-class Indonesian home and dropped off and said, they'll get you where you need to be tomorrow morning. And as a um, 21-, 22-year-old, strapping, young, proud man, after that trip, I was crying myself to sleep for a number of nights, wondering what I'd got myself into. So I found the whole experience mentally excruciating in a lot of ways. By the time it was over, I was just, first of all, I was just happy it was over because I was so out of my comfort zone. I was so out of what I knew. My understanding of the world in a lot of ways, my understanding of Christianity at the time was so challenged that I was just glad it was over. But it gave me much to sift through and think about in the years that followed. Experiencing such anguish told me that something wasn't right about the way that I thought and felt about the world. And so I took a number of years of spiritual reflection and searching myself, saying, why was that so hard? Why did that hurt so much? It wasn't that bad, really, in retrospect. Why was it so difficult? And essentially, I had learned that my Christianity and my sense of an American were so intertwined 
that that experience was starting to rip them apart. How intertwined were they? I remember I packed a copy of the American Constitution right next to my Bible for that trip, just in case someone asked me about our form of government. Because in my mind, I don't know if I would have articulated it this way, but at least in reality, my sense of American exceptionalism, America as the gift to the world, was in many ways intertwined with my Christianity. And so taking some time to sort through that and really spending some time with this song and some of the points that the artist makes. I've grown to see uh, America not so much as the promised land, but as the land of my sojourn. And I still love it. I mean, there's one line in this song. Nobody tells you when you get born here how much you'll grow to love it and how you'll never belong here. So there is a both loving of it at the same time seeing a home as somewhere else, something different. Well, let's get back to some music here. The song is Land of My Sojourn. It's by Rich Mullins. Countryside was parked with all of those amazing. 
I guess it's kind of natural, just having finished with Land of My Sojourn, that the next song is All Aboard. It sounds like you're on a journey somewhere. So why did All Aboard by the Del McCoury Band become part of your song of the soul? Well, my experience of Christian growth has been having one thing ripped away from me after another. Having my materialism ripped away from me. Having my ardent nationalism ripped away from me. So there have been a number of times where I've just sat down and not known where I was going, not knowing what would replace it. So I've just sat down, and like the character in the song, I've sat down and just with nothing other than a hope that where I was going was better than where I'd been. And the character talks about essentially God appears to him and talks to him and talks about all the scenery and lets him know that he's not alone and that where he's going is better than where he's been. All aboard, and it's by the Del McCoury Band. You forgot to say amen He says I guess there's something here I need to explain I try to talk to everyone riding this train Some of them listen, but most don't pay me no mind And the train keeps rolling And the world keeps turning All Alone. 
Let's keep moving along. The next song, I think, was actually recorded at your church, wasn't it? Yes, it was. A couple of years ago, our pastor was on sabbatical, and I uh, did not all but much of the preaching while he was gone. And we currently record our sermons and keep them on CD and burn them onto CD. And this was captured on that CD. It is a song by three members of our congregation. The congregation is about 20% East African, Ethiopian and Eritrean would not be the first thing people think about the Mennonite church, but one of the places that the Mennonite church is growing the fastest is Ethiopia. These are some members of our church from there leading us in a song that, as they will say, has uh, been around their home church many, many years. And I just love it as it illustrates the multinational feel of our own congregation, which in some small way reflects what the kingdom of God is like with voices in all languages, singing and praying in unison. One thing we should mention about the song is, at least the beginning part of it, is not in English. What is the language? They're singing Amharic, which is, I believe, the main language in, in Ethiopia. Well, let's listen to members of the Emanuel Mennonite Church congregation as they sing in Amharic and in English. Thank you, Jesus. What the hollow Jesus, what the hollow Jesus, what the hollow Jesus, the hollow Jesus, what the hollow you could follow us the English version. It's so simple and easy. And this is a song which was being sung in Ethiopia even before Sofra was born. <laughs> and I was a child, and Warukes was not yet married. <laughs> I don't know who translated which, whether it was translated from the English to Amharic or from the Amharic to the English. We don't know who did it, but... This is a song which was sung in all over Ethiopia, wherever the Maserata Christos Church is. And people sing this song with clapping their hands, so happy and thinking of what God did for them. It all says that 
Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, in my heart. Love you, love you, Jesus. Love you, love you, Jesus, in my heart. I can't live without you. I can't live without you. That's right. We'll sing the English version, and this is how we will sing again. We'll clap our hands. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, in my heart. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, in my heart. Love you, love you, Jesus. Love you, love you, Jesus. Love you, love you, Jesus, in my heart. Love you, love you, Jesus. Love you, love you, Jesus. Love you, love you, Jesus, in my heart. I can't live without you. I can't live without you. I can't live without you in my heart. The last song that you chose for your song of the soul is I Ain't Got Time. I actually picked up this album on a whim, having heard of Norman and Nancy Blake. As this track came up, I uh, experienced a very odd flashback of myself as four or five years old at a church revival meeting. I thought it must have been a trick of the brain, because I have no idea, knowing who my parents were when I was that age, how I could have ended up at a revival meeting where this song was being played. But I asked my mom, and she explained that one of the women who took care of me while she worked took me to some free Methodist church events, and I could have very well heard it. Uh, yeah, I, I ain't got time to stop and tarry. So I love the simplicity of the song, the zeal, the earnestness of the song, and in many ways, I feel like it uh, expresses who I am today. Well, then let's listen to it and see if we get a good picture of you from it. The song is I Ain't Got Time, and it's performed here by Norman and Nancy Blake. I want to be found 
in that number ain't got time stopping Terry in this world. covered a lot of territory in your life, Daniel. What are your plans for the future in as much as you've got plans? Right now, there is another couple living in the Eau Claire area, which feels very connected to the Mennonite church. But as we talked about before, there isn't a, a congregation close by that expresses that part of who we are. So we are looking for a couple of other couples that may be in a similar situation, even if they don't know that they're Mennonites, but feel some of the things that I've expressed. I don't want to speak for the other couple, but I think in many ways we've wound up in similar places. And looking for some anyone else who is willing to, to join us in that for maybe six months or so, just to see if that's where they fit also. How would people get a hold of you if they wanted to explore this? Let me start by saying if questions about who the Mennonite church is today, or at least the, the segment of the church I come from, of course everyone has a website, um, www.thirdway, um, all spelled out as letters, .com. If someone was looking to get a hold of me, it's very easy. My email address is winings, spelled W-I-N-I-N-G-S, at gmail.com, or I'd even welcome a phone call. It's uh, 715-962-9198. Daniel, I suppose you better hustle on back home. Do you have to do any work on the farm today? Well, I think Christy would have watered the rabbits this morning and let the chickens out. Other than that, they're okay to this evening. Other than that, I still got to get the winter squash in, and we have some people coming out tomorrow, so I should probably try to get the lawn mowed. Thanks for taking the time after our long night of work. I hope to be seeing you very soon, and I wish you well on getting a congregation together of Mennonites in the Chippewa Valley. Thank you, Mark, and uh, God bless. You've been listening to a Song of the Soul interview with Daniel Winings. You can hear this program again via my website, northernspiritradio.org, where you can see links with respect to this program and many others. Song of the Soul is produced by Mark Helpsmeet. If you'd like to share your Song of the Soul with the listeners of WHYS-FM Radio, please contact me via my email address, helpsmeet at usa.net. 
That's H-E-L-P-S-M-E-E-T at USA dot N-E-T. And please join me Sundays at 11 a.m. for Song of the Soul. You can be happy, let in the light, it will heal you. And you can feel you and sing out a song of the soul. Ah. Uh-huh.